0: you want to take out your Bibles and go to the book of Luke, we are studying verse by verse through Luke's gospel. This morning we are in Luke chapter number 9, and I want us to consider just verse 11 down through verse number 17, and this miracle of feeding the 5,000. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 11, let's read together. And the people, when they knew it, followed him, and he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God, and healed them that had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the towns and country round about, and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. And he said to them, Give you them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. For they were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed them and brake and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat and were all filled. And there was taken up of fragments that remained to them twelve baskets. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask for your blessing upon this time. As we, your church, consider your word. Holy Spirit, illuminate it and guide us in it as only you can. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you guys ever forget to remember? Anybody, you got here bright and early for Sunday school just now? (laughs) Didn't, Didn't set those clocks last night and you thought you were on time this morning and you got here and church was already starting. Isn't that how it goes? Well, sometimes... Um, we forget to remember some things, both physically but also spiritually. Simple things that should be natural to us are often forgotten or overlooked, and then then this causes issue within us. There are basic lessons that, as Christians, we forget sometimes. We often forget to study our Bibles. We don't remember that God's word gives us life. We often forget the power of prayer, not remembering that God's blessing is ours for the asking. We forget our dependency on the Holy Spirit, and we attempt to do things on our own. Anybody guilty there? We forget about the grace and the mercy that God has given, and we begin to act as though we must work our way into heaven. We forget how much God loves us. We forget that our Father knows best. We forget to trust in His sovereign plan for our lives. We forget that God has promised that He will provide. And all of this spiritual amnesia leads to decline for us spiritually. It causes us to be joyless. It causes us to be weighted down with the cares of this world. It causes us to act... As though we are guilty, though Jesus Christ has made us guiltless. It causes us to be lonely, though we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It causes us to doubt, though we have been given faith by God's grace unto salvation. It causes us to be discouraged and anxious, though we are to be anxious for nothing and prayerful about everything. We quickly forget, we need to remember. That's what our point is from the 12 here in Matthew or Luke chapter number 9. I forgot what book I was reading to you from. They've just come back from this powerful mission trip. Jesus sent them out with power and authority. They've been healing sick, they've been casting out demons, all while preaching the kingdom. And then they come to this time of Rest, Jesus says, let's go away into this wilderness place for a while and rest. The crowd follows. The day gets long and they decide we've got to feed these people. And these 12 seem to forget the very power and authority that God has given them. and, And act a bit confused as Jesus says, you give them something to eat. He lays that back on the disciples. I want that to be our point today as we consider the miracle of feeding the 5,000. Let's look together at two great extremes in this passage for our headings today. First is the scarcity of the food. There's all of these people. 5,000 men that it says here, if we take that as um, just categorically, then there's about 5,000 people here. If we take that literally, then we would say, well, there's 5,000 men. There could have also been women. There could have also been children what would be your clue that there's children here some of you children know this if you studied this in the sunday school nobody wants to flex your theological muscles the other gospel accounts where do we learn in the other gospel accounts that the five loaves and two fishes come from a little boy he brings his basket and 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 gives it here so we're going to i'm going to make the assumption here this morning that there are 5,000 men. And there's also women and children. You figure out the math on that uh, statistically as you would. As but there's more than 5,000 people here. There's at least 5,000 people here. So there's this scarcity of food, which then goes to the other extreme, and it's this surplus of food. And now note the difference here in this text. It is not scarcity of food and then everybody's filled. It's scarcity of food to surplus of food. Now, there's a difference. How many of you have multiple children that live in your household? Yeah. You can go from scarcity of food to everybody is filled, but that doesn't mean there's a surplus. Can I get a witness? Yes. I mean, sometimes when I go through a drive-thru, they say, is that all? And then I'll say, no, that's not it, and there's more. And they, we get up there to them, and they're looking in my car, figuring out, what is this guy? really hungry or does he have lots of people? And one of my favorite lines to say when they realize how much food that I've ordered here, they'll say, do you need a drink carrier? And what do I always say boys? I've got a drink carrier built in because I have four sons and they're going to drink these right now. And they always look at me like I'm crazy. And then they turn my ice cream upside down and I say stop, don't do that, that stresses me out. (laughs) Am I the only one? That's the weirdest thing to do is turn my ice cream. What if you spill that? And I know their thing is, it's such good-made ice cream that it won't spill. But in the chance that it did, and then I have to enact the five-second rule and embarrass myself. (laughs) Well, let's consider the miracle of feeding the 5,000 here and apply it to our own spiritual situations. Our premise or our thesis being here, from the last sermon we were in Luke, we as the church have this power and authority But often we prefer to rely upon logic, human reasoning, just just good common sense. And we leave off the supernatural. Our God can do the supernatural. He illustrates here that he can. But Jesus says clearly to the disciples here, you give them food to eat. He's empowered them and he expects them to do it and, and they don't. So that's the point I want to make to you today from this miracle. Well, verses 11 through 15, this story begins with five loaves of bread and two fish. I want us to back into verse 9, or verse 10. It says, And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. So they've been out on this mission trip. Jesus sent them out, and they've come back. And he took them, and he went aside privately into a desert place, belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So Jesus, intending to rest with his disciples after this time of intense ministry, pulls them off to this separate place, but this crowd instead follows, and they interrupt his privacy. Well, what is he going to do? Is he going to tell them he's busy? That's never Jesus' case. He receives them, and he follows his normal pattern of ministry. He teaches them about the kingdom of God, and he heals their sick. Now, at this point, we find a stark contrast in Jesus and his 12 closest followers. Notice verse 11 and 12. The people, when they knew it, followed him and received them and spake unto them the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the towns in the country round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. It's a unique old King James word there, victuals. I grew up in the North Georgia mountains, we had hillbillies there. What did we call that? Vittles. vittles. Okay, so y'all are hillbillies, too, then. All right, I was just making sure. I'm trying to pronounce it properly, but my brain just keeps wanting to say vittles. And for all of you who've moved here from other places because you love the freedom of Tennessee, welcome, and I'm sorry that we say vi- Well, actually, I'm not sorry that we say vittles. It's just what we say. It means something to eat. Vittles. We need, my wife is embarrassed, so I'll stop. The stark contrast is seen here from verse 11 to verse 12 between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus saw the need of the crowd. He had compassion on this crowd, and he met the need of these people. The disciples saw the need, and they wanted to send them away so the crowd could provide for themselves. Now what sounds more like the modern church? Both were being mindful of others. I'm not scorning one or the other. They were both being mindful. The disciples came to Jesus. And and their mentality is almost... Now, Jesus, you remember um, the the, the woman with the blood disease? And Jesus said, who touched me? And Peter kind of says, Jesus, that was not a very smart question. He said, all of these people, and you're asking who touched me? I, I feel like the disciples are coming to Jesus in this same way of thinking here. And they're saying... Here's the saying we use now. You're being so heavenly minded that in this moment you're not very earthly good. It's great that we're out here in this restful place and you're healing and teaching and everybody's loving it. But when crowds get angry, or crowds get hungry, crowds get angry, we need to send them back home or back into the village so they can find something to eat. Jesus' instruction to them is, there's no such thing as being too heavenly minded. He says to them, you're not heavenly minded enough. You're trying to be so earthly minded that it's ruining your heavenly usefulness in this instance. Now this rings true to these disciples. Because they've just gone out from town to town with the authority to wipe the dust from their feet of any town that would deny the preaching of the kingdom of God, but also with the ability to heal the sick in these towns and to cast out devils. Both were being mindful of others, and both were showing a form of care. Now, this contrast from verse 11 to verse 12 is very human, uh, very telling of our human nature. It's wisdom for us, the church, as we make decisions for local ministry. The wisdom here is that the most practical is not always the most providential. I'm sure you take that home with you today. The most practical is not always the most providential. We should be those in this life, in today's world, acting out divine providence as if all the world were a stage. But all too often, we quench the Holy Spirit because we are being way too practical. We operate with care. We operate with careful logistics. We want to be good stewards. However, we aren't typically doing things much different than the world around us. We like to think that we are. But I'll promise you, you go talk to... Some community resource agencies. And they'll tell you about the modern church's good works. And they'll say, oh, we, we love the modern church. What do you love about the modern church? Well, well, one week it's this social group here helping. And one week it's this community group here helping. And one week it's this government agency here helping. And then another week it's this local church here helping. We're just, we're just right there in the, the layout of things. Now that's Nice. that's good. You don't want to be the opposite of that, do you? You don't want to be that local church that they say, every time we ask for them to help, they don't. They're too busy. They're kind of mean. Any of you ever gone to that church? We don't want to be that church. But there's there's this report of the early church in Acts chapter 17. And I hope you have this verse underlined in your Bibles. Because this is my goal. Our model. Our theme verse as a church comes from, the book, from Peter, who says, Holding forth the word of life. And, and that is the, our main premise here. But one of my sub-point goals for us as a church in this community is Acts 17.6. These that have turned the world upside down, the people reported there, have come here also. Now, they, they weren't happy about that. They weren't excited about that. But they reported that this early church, these New Testament saints, these people that have turned the world upside down, well, here they come. Don't don't you just wish that was the reputation of Harpeth Baptist Church? I want you to notice how Jesus puts the burden of ministry back on his disciples' shoulders in verse 13. But he said to them, give you them to eat. You give them food. You feed them. The disciples have said, the day is going long. Send these people away that they can go in and find themselves some food because we're here in a desert place. And Jesus just says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes except we should go and buy meat for all of these people. Now, I want us to consider was this true? You see, the disciples' understanding of what they had must be understood from Jesus' expectation of what they had. Did Jesus know what they had? Jesus is God. So, why would he say, You give them to eat, if all that they were supposed to do was feed with five loaves of two fishes, and that's obviously not going to be enough? Five thousand people. And I like you guys pretty good. And I like Captain D's pretty good. And I like to go to Captain D's and get fish and chips, and that usually comes with two of those fillets. I don't know what kind of fish it is. I mainly <laughs> want it because the breading that's on the outside of it. Don't look down your noses at me. You have those days as well. I'll just be honest. I don't know that my two fishes fillets that I get from the Captain Ds would work to feed us all. And truthfully, I'm not going to share it with you. I'm just going to eat it. Was it true that this was all they had? Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And they said, well, all we got are these five loaves and these two fishes. I love this story. As a child in Sunday school, the teacher would teach us about the five loaves and the two fishes, and we had the flannel graph boards. Do we still have the flannel graph boards? Oh, that's awesome. I love a church that still has flannel graph boards. And we still, here's me being a salesman for a minute, we still have hymnals too. They're, they're more like museum hymnals right now. We're, we're not actually using them because they're all boxed up in some storage somewhere, the ones that didn't get wet. But, but we had enough brought over here so that you would know that we're a hymnal church. I know we sang from a screen this morning, but we, we like these hymnals and these flannel graph boards. Do you remember, those of you who who grew up with flannel graph, as a, you know, you would have this picture of this wilderness place, you know, like Gatlinburg. And then you'd have this white American Jesus. And then there would be these Loaves of bread, you know, Italian bread, of course, because that's what they had then with the three lines across the top. And these perfectly whole fish, they still had all of their fins and all of their eyes and all of their skin, you know. The, but, but as a kid, I remember thinking like, wow. And thinking how tasty that must have been and all of these things, right? But was it true that all they had was five loaves and two fish? Now in the physical sense, Yes. That's all they have. You see, you're sitting here this morning, and adults, you're already starting to figure out where this is going. For Harpathadish Church to be a heavenly-minded church, a powerfully used church, then the homes that make up Harpathadish Church are going to have to operate like we're seeing here in the text. And you're already beginning to think to yourself, yeah, but we've got this problem. We have this need. We've got this trouble. We've got this issue And all that we have to to solve this issue is this. Our two-piece fish and chips from Captain D's. But it's not all you have. If it was all that you had, Jesus would have said to them, just give me what you've got and I'll make the best out of it. But that's not what he said here. We often interpret this passage this way. You bring your little bit to Jesus and let him make a miraculous thing out of it. And we use biblical examples like David and Goliath. All, I had that on a flannograph as a kid too. Went home from Sunday school that Sunday, went out in the yard. I got some old shoestrings and I found some rocks. And I tied the rock into the shoestring where I could sling it around and throw that thing. And I made myself a giant killer. Probably put some holes in some things that I wasn't supposed to. But the idea becomes, oh, you just take your little bitty rocks that you have and let God empower them. And like David, you'll be a giant slayer. Or Moses in the Red Sea. Or Moses with any of these miracles. Well, I don't know. I don't have anything. And God says to Moses, what's that in your hand? And he said, I have this rod in my hand. He said, throw it down on the ground. He throws it down on the ground, it becomes a snake. He says, pick it back up again. This is how I know that I'm not like Moses. He picked it back up again. (laughs) And it becomes the rod. And this kind of becomes the rod of God that does all of these miraculous things there. If we're not careful, we take that as the full understanding and interpretation of such passages. If you want more on that come to Ladies Bible Study tomorrow night. That's what Shanae is going to be teaching to you ladies on the sufficiency of scripture, right? I'm excited. I already told you I've been reading the Ladies Bible Study book. Is that allowed? Can men read this book? Okay, I didn't know if that was a a thing or not. This is not the interpretation of the passage. I'm fine with that as as a minor application. If you're a young person in here this morning, I would say to you, like this young boy who gave what he had to be used by Jesus, give your life, for sure. That's great, right? That's a great, that's a great way to apply what we're reading here, but this is not the interpretation. The interpretation is the disciples already had what they needed to take care of this problem, but they acted as if all they could operate in was the physical. And this is the issue in the current church. We look around and we say, oh my goodness, I can't believe what's going on in the world around us. I never thought I would see the day when in the United States of America, people would literally pack up their homes and move to other places because of freedom. We, we borrowed the DVD, Braveheart. I have a clear play Blu-ray player. Because I was telling one of you this earlier, and you were like, oh, you can't show that to your children. True, you can't show Braveheart to your children. But we have this clear play DVD player that filters it, so it cut out the stuff that my children didn't need to see. But I had forgotten in this movie, and if you haven't seen Braveheart and you haven't seen the end, I'm going to ruin it for you. But it's old enough that it doesn't matter. But at the very end of the movie, they got William Wallace there, and they're trying to get him to bow to the king, and he won't bow to the king because he doesn't live for this king. He lives for one thing, and he screams out with all of his might, Freedom! There are a few, a few of you there, yes. I feel like that's not what it sounded like, but all right. <laughs> this, this is happening in America. If the church ever needed to be powerful, it needs to be powerful now. For, for, for as long as I've been cognitively paying attention in the church, there's been this saying, but never has it been more relevant than now. The world is screaming for answers, but Christians are stuttering. Well, I don't know. We do know. We've, we've got God's word on it. And this is how Jesus treats his disciples here. These men had just returned from performing miracles. they have been casting out devils. they have been preaching under the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. And now they claim they have no power to minister to a crowd that needs food. And their only solution is, we could buy food. But this is beyond our financial ability. Jesus wanted them to learn to minister as he had been modeling for them. He was always doing something other than the world's way to meet needs. Oh, Jesus, you can't touch the dead. That makes you ceremonially unclean and you're a rabbi. Fine, I'll just make them alive. Then I can touch them. He's doing this over and over and over again throughout Luke's gospel. Luke's recording this for us in this way. And Jesus is putting this example forth to his disciples. It starts with this, the storm in this boat in the middle of the sea. And they said, you don't care that we perish? And Jesus said, do you not see my example that I'm sleeping? If he can have rest in this storm. Surely you can too. And he's modeled this for them. And in this instance, they come to him and say, we've we got to send these people home so they can eat. And he says, you give them something to eat. And they said, there's no way we could buy enough to feed this many people. He wants them to learn to do the same as he's been doing. He's already revealed to them just in chapter 9 here. This power and authority that they have. Verse 1. He called his 12 disciples together. And gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Surely he wants them to use this. What they've already been using during this mission trip. As part of feeding this crowd. And instead... What do they say? Except we should go and buy meat for all this people, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. So there's a scarcity of food. So again, we find Luke revealing to us the disciples' lack and their process for growth. And I'm being a little bit scornful here in my preaching this morning, but I want you to notice in the text that Jesus is not really being that way. He doesn't scorn the disciples. He he says to the disciples and when they show their lack of faith, He just shows them again His example. So verse 12, they came to Him and reported. Verse 13, He says, you give them to eat. They gave their excuse. Verse 14 and 15, Jesus organizes this crowd and performs a miracle. He doesn't scorn them. He shows them how they should be growing in the faith. Aren't you glad that God is so much more merciful than we are. He's so much more long-suffering and patient than we are. God help us to be just as long-suffering and patient with each other. Phil Riken writes here, The trouble with the disciples was that they were looking at things from a merely human perspective. They were acting like men without a God, thinking only in terms of what they had on hand, and what they had the ability to provide from their own resources, not considering the power and the providence of their God. David Gooding remarks that Jesus' question ought to have startled them into thinking there might be more to the kingdom of God and the powers of Jesus than they had yet realized. Instead of that, the highest their thoughts could rise was to the possibility of going to the nearest merchant's. And to buying the necessary quantity of food. Gooding calls it a question there. We read it as a statement. Verse 13 He said to them, Give you them to eat. In local church ministry, we should always be growing similarly. The same as these disciples are being tested and growing and tested and growing and tried and growing and exercising their faith to grow. We should never get to the point that we feel like we have it mastered. Oh, that's okay. We we have our hymnals, we have our flannel graphs, got our suits and our ties. We're the church. This is it. Take it or leave it. Now we should always be growing. We should always be on alert to divine intervention. We should always be on alert to the supernatural. Or if those words make you uncomfortable, we should at least always be on the alert. For God's preferring the uncommon. Jesus can't do this because of that. And he says, well, I'm going to change that so that I can do this. Well, the disciples' confusion is easily understood. Feeding 5,000 people represented a tremendous undertaking. Verse 14, for they were about 5,000 men. So Luke doesn't really give us that information until that point. And he said to the disciples, make them sit down by 50s and accompany And they did so, and they made them all sit down. You organizers, you administrators, those of you who every portion of your life is compartmentalized and laid out here, this abides with you. You love this. Jesus didn't just have this mass of people. He had them sitting out, see if it was left to me. We'd have the same number of people on all the rows. There would be no rows empty in here this morning. We'd be laid out decently and in order. It hinders my ability to worship with you because of the way you are scattered about this morning. Not really, just kidding. But Jesus here made them sit down by 50s in a company. Now, I take no more away from that than even heaven likes to organize some things. If you can come up with something theological for that, I would love to hear it. I didn't find anything in my study. But this is an, an enormous undertaking. Weirsby writes encouragement here. He says, in the crisis hours of life, when your resources are low and your responsibilities are great, it is good to remember that God already has the problem solved. Amen. You have lost loved ones. Doesn't Jesus already solve that problem on the cross? Yes. You say, "Well, I don't know how we're going to pay for this. We we lack money. Tax time, right? God already has that problem solved." And on and on and on, the applications for that can go. But the encouragement is for you and I to remember, as the disciples forgot here, God already had the problem solved. Now what should they have done? And, and I don't know that I know exactly the answer here. In fact, we understand that God in his providence allowed this miracle to play out this way so that you and I would be, get to see it done in, in the way that it is. But best we could take away from this is maybe the disciples should have just done what Jesus did took the five loaves, two fists, said, Lord, bless this, and started handing it out and trusted that it would have been enough. I think if the modern church would at least trust to that level, we might see God miraculously and supernaturally working through us way more than he does right now. We have to have a committee and a subcommittee and a team and then a committee on the committees to talk about how many different things that we can do with this many things that we have. And I'm all for that. Remember I said... Decent in order, sit it out, lay it out, plan it out. I like it that way. One of you this week got the wonderful experience of dealing with me and another preacher. And we're both ministry-minded. Well, we're all ministry-minded, but we're both ministers. We, we deal with ministry all the time. And, and the one of you that I'm talking about that I won't call your name, not used to that, business-minded. We've got to do this, and we got to do it this way, and this is, and I said, you're going to get an, a, a 101 class real quick of what it's like to be a preacher, because in the preacher world, you don't always get to work like that. Guess when I most often come and visit you? Anybody know this? When is it? <laughs> yes, that's right. When A.R. Donna Cooks, I come and visit. <laughs> All right, Kind of plays into this illustration. When is it? When does the preacher usually come see you? When you're sick. All right. So you all said, the, yeah, when you call me. Yeah, when you're sick, when, you're, when there's trouble, whatever. When you call. But that's just the way it works. So when I, I remember when I first took this church. I'd never been a pastor before. It's been over 10 years ago. My first Sunday here was January of 2011. The first Sunday of January 2011. Some of you were here on that Sunday. We weren't here. but I remember my mom said, she said, Always keep a suit of clothes ironed and ready to go in your closet. And I said, what do you mean, Mom? And she said, because you never know when you're going to get called. And I said, hmm. And I don't know that I, you know how we do with Mom's wisdom. I don't know that I've always obeyed that. But but there's some wisdom there. But for the one of you who was dealing with me and the other preacher this week, you understood exactly what that's like one of us wouldn't say what time, the other wouldn't say what time, one wouldn't say where we're going, the other wouldn't say where we were going. We just said, Hey, we'll get together and we'll figure it out. We've just gotta be flexible. That drives some of you nuts, doesn't it? Well, I'll tell you, the disciples were having to learn this lesson here. Jesus said, Let's go off into this wilderness. And let's have a time of rest. You've just come back from ministry, and what does Jesus say? Are are these people follow? And they gotta have something to eat, and Jesus says, You give them something to eat. Well, if you'd have told us back in town, we'd have got some biscuits and some ham. We'd been had some coffee and we'd have been ready. But well, we didn't know back in town. George Mueller is a great example here. How many of you are familiar with the name George Mueller? Good. Parents, get a a children's biography of George Mueller and read it to your children. He was saved on a Saturday night in 1825. Ten years later, in 1835, he revealed his plans to a local social group to open an orphanage. He grew up on the streets, and he felt a calling to bring in these children who were also coming up on the streets and bring them into a home and teach them about Jesus and raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So April the 11th, 1836, he opened his first orphanage with 26 children. Soon they opened a second house and then a third house because it was such a big thing. George Mueller believed in praying and earnestly trusting the Lord to provide for these orphans' needs. And the Lord did provide, though often in Mueller's life you read these stories of it being in the last moment. The the best of these stories for me... Is the morning when the children were sitting at the breakfast table, the plates, the bowls, the cups, they were all there, and sitting at the table, but there was no food and there was no milk. Now, if you've got children, and I don't know if it's this way for girls, I assume it is, but with boys, one of the worst things that can ever happen in a house full of boys is you get up one morning and there is no milk. I mean, the sky is falling because there is no milk. Well, the children sat waiting. Is that an amen back there, Jacob? All right. They're waiting on their breakfast, and Mueller is leading them in prayer for their daily bread. Now, that's a step of faith. You've got 20-something children at the table with empty bowls and empty plates, empty cups, and you're praying, give us this day our daily bread. There was a knock on the door, and it was the local baker. And he said to Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. For some reason, I felt like you weren't going to have bread for the children for breakfast this morning, so I got up at 2 a.m. and I baked you some fresh bread. As the baker left, there was another knock at the door. The milkman, his wagon had broken down right in front of the orphanage. To have this wagon repaired, he had to unload the weight of the milk, so he gave it to the children so that he could get his wagon repaired. Isn't that a touching story? I know we hear these stories and we we know these stories. And we think, oh, that's sweet, but it's different now. Isn't that what we think? It's just not the same anymore. Why not? What's changed? Has God changed? Has His Word changed? Has His ability changed? Have humans really changed all that much? No, the change is the church. The church would say, we can't get in bed. With a guy like George Mueller, who might let kids go one morning without milk because he's just going to trust God. He should have had that ordered weeks in advance. And there's no way we can afford this so we can't be apart. part. George Mueller just opened an orphanage, got some kids off the street, taught them how to pray and how to trust the Lord. And he watched God knock on the door and say, here's some bread and here's some milk. Now the disciples failed and Jesus took over. He organized the crowd. He set them down. And that's where we move to our last heading today and briefly finish with the miracle of verse 16 and 17, This surplus of food. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, blessed them and break and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat and were all filled and there was taken up of fragments that remained to them 12 Baskets. Now this story begins with five loaves, two fish. Jesus performs the miracle. Over 5,000 people are filled. They're full of food. And there's 12 baskets of food left over. A lot of theories of, as to why there's 12 baskets left over. My favorite is just that he had these 12 that he had just sent out. And, and of this group of people, these 12 were saying, we can't feed this many. And not only did Jesus feed them and fill them, but there's this surplus left over. And each one of these guys who said we can't had to tote a a basket of the leftovers. I like that particular. Does God ever do you like that? And it's not like it's a scornful spanking. It is chastisement. It is discipline from the Father. But how loving. You You went home with a basket full of leftover fish and bread. Don't forget how it happens. Verse 16, Jesus dedicates this in prayer to the Father. Probably part of the reason we have the custom of praying over our meals now. Verse 17, this small amount provides more than enough to fill all of these people so that there are these leftovers. So as we consider all that else is here, and specifically this lesson for the disciples, I don't want us to miss the miracle Jesus did something supernatural. God proved here that he will provide. I think we often forget to remember that. It's probably why we operate more like the disciples than Jesus often as the modern church. In our homes, in our careers, with our planning, with our praying, with our families, with our church. We forget to remember that God has promised that he will always provide. There's a... An anonymous poem to help us remember that God will provide. Yesterday God helped me, today he'll do the same. How long will this continue? Forever. Praise his name. Yesterday God helped me, today he'll do the same. How long will this continue? Forever. Praise his name. Do you guys have things like that that just resonate in your brains as you go through the week? It's why we'll often sing the same song multiple times in a week. It's because I just want it stuck in your head. By grace I am redeemed. Like that. Well, I hope you go through your week with this in your brain. Yesterday, God helped me. Today, he'll do the same. How long will this continue? Forever. Praise his name. There's no need to doubt him now. He'll make a way somehow. Safely this far, Jesus has brought us. There's no need to doubt him now. This miracle reminds us that God's provision is abundant. This miracle affirms for us the deity of Christ. This miracle reminds us of the power of prayer, and this miracle teaches us that we have a part to play in the work that Jesus does. The disciples receive some valuable lessons here through this miracle. They learn that Jesus is the source of provision for their own ministry. What are you relying upon for? for the source of your ministering. You're a servant of the Lord. You're doing His will in your life. But what are you relying upon as your source? Whether these disciples need power or authority or food or whatever it is that they need, Jesus is the source of their provisions. Man's wisdom will always be to go and do and buy. But Jesus instead took what they had, looked into heaven, and God blessed it. Second, these disciples learned that they are to model Jesus' style of ministry in their own lives. The best way I could summarize for you Jesus' style of ministry that you and I are to model and these disciples were to model is servant ministry. Later on in Luke 22, Luke gives us this clue about these people, these disciples. He writes, And there was also a strife among them which should be accounted the greatest. You didn't know that these guys were Baptists, did you? I mean, here's the apostles of Christ. Those who would begin the New Testament church on the earth. Peter, who would preach at Pentecost. These amazing guys that we look and say, wow. But here Luke says, there came a time when they were fighting among themselves. who, You know, they were having an arm wrestling competition. Stronger than you are. No, I'm stronger than you are. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But you shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, as he that doth serve. For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is it not he that sitteth at meat? But I am among you as he... That serveth. Jesus said, if you want to be great in his kingdom, be the best servant of all. The disciples learn here, they're going to have to model this style of Jesus' ministry. And then finally, I just want to point out to you that the disciples learn here that they're going to have to provide food for the crowd. It's a little more realistic, isn't it? to think about and I would say this takes on many forms in the gospels and in the book of Acts and the letters to the churches it's healing, it's food it's mostly though this sharing the good news the resurrection of Christ the forgiveness of sins but the disciples learned here that it's not always going to be well we'll just get them to Jesus I, that has poor connotations the way I said it. Let me say that a different way. The disciples learn here: we're not always going to be able to let have Jesus do this. Sometimes we're going to have to do it ourselves in the power that He has given us. Jesus said, "You give them to eat." He supplies with abundance, but they must be the vessels to give out this provision. Some of you have heard me say this before privately. But I think it works well in this situation. You'll say to me something like, That was a good sermon, or it was really helpful, or it was exactly what I needed. And I say this for the shock value and to lighten the conversation some, but I'll often say something like, I'm just a spoon. And you look at me like, You're an odd looking spoon. You're a big spoon. What do I mean? I'm a vessel. My high school principal at the Christian school that I attended always taught us about being a vessel. He said, when you go to the kitchen and you open the drawer, and there's forks and knives and spoons in there, and, and you see one with a little crust still on it, you know, the dishwasher doesn't always get them all clean. What do you do with that? And he would joke with a bunch of teenagers and say, You lick it clean and put it back, or you just leave it there for the next person, as teenagers will often do. He said, no, but you don't use that one. You find one that is clean and used. And he would teach us about purity and usefulness in the kingdom, being willing to be a vessel used for God's glory. And that is what the disciples are learning here. It's so easy for us to have a hands-off approach and just say, help, Lord. And often that may be all we need to do. But here in this instance, we see Jesus' initial command to his followers. You feed them. Church, we are the body of Christ now. He has left us here to do this work. He's empowered us and he's given us the authority, but we need to do the work. Are you a vessel meat for his use this morning? Could you spoon out some of this blessing that he wants? Or would he have to put you back in the sink and scrub you a little bit? Let's stand and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us as your church to take these things and use them for your glory. We thank you for all of your goodness toward us. And, Lord, as you show to your followers here this morning in this passage that you had already given them what they needed to take care of this crowd, but they turned instead to the practical. Help us as your church now to trust first in the providential above the practical. And, Lord, all the while, help us to be vessels meet for your use. And work in your providence. Bless this time now as we respond to your word. As we pray in Jesus' name. The musicians are going to give us just a time to respond to the word. Bow and pray and take this time to do business with God based upon the word that you've heard.